You're still wondering if Jaws is gonna pop out and eat that, aren't you? You still are. Hey, welcome to New Life, and my name is Joe. If this is your first time here, I get to be the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope we get a chance to meet before you leave here today, but just welcome. We are in a series right now from the book of Jonah. In fact, if you brought your Bibles with you and you want to be turning over to the book of Jonah, that would be great, because that's where we're going to be today. And just to remind you, the book of Jonah is about a reluctant prophet who disobeyed God. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the, the word of the Lord said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Its wickedness has come up before me. And I read that and I go, how bad do you have to be for your wickedness to come up and grab God's attention? That's gotta be pretty bad. There's a lot of examples of wickedness in the Bible and God doesn't weigh in on it. But on this particular case, Nineveh, something's going on there. So bad what the Assyrians were doing. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And, and, and he's like, go preach. And Jonah did what? He's like, no way, Jose, I am out of here. And Jonah gets on a ship and he sails away. So Nineveh was in the east. Jonah sails west. He's headed for Spain, which in this day and age is about as far away from Nineveh as anybody can get. But there is a problem with that. And we looked at this last week. You cannot run, you cannot hide from God. Jonah thought he could. Jonah thought that he could get away from God. But listen, Jonah wasn't successful. Nobody's ever been successful. So here's Jonah. He's out somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea trying to sail away from God. We don't know how far away he got, but we do know this. God never lost track of him. And you know what? God doesn't lose track of you either, ever ever. And that's something that I think all of us need to be keenly aware of, that we think there's this idea in our minds that we can get away from God somehow. We really can't. There's not a place in this world you can go that God can't find you. See, Jonah thought that that could happen, but God showed him real quick that it couldn't. So what did God do? God sent a storm to get Jonah's attention, didn't he? And this is a storm of all storms. This is the kind of storm that all the people with Jonah on that ship thought they were gonna die. That had to be some kind of storm. Everybody was trying to save the ship, but finally Jonah fesses up and he says, this all has come upon you because of me. Throw me overboard. And that's exactly what they did. And the storm calmed down. We, we didn't look at this too much last week. When we think about this miraculous calming of the storm, when we think about those kind of things, we think about Jesus, don't we? Jesus calmed the storm, walked, all that stuff. But this is another miraculous calming of the storm. And what did all the sailors do on that ship when they saw God calm the storm? They worshiped God. It's, it's an incredible uh, look at how guys can go from, we've been praying to our gods and it didn't work out, but now we realize the one true God calmed the storm and they all worshiped him. I would really love to know what happened on the rest of that journey. Jonah's not with him anymore. Did these guys go on and take God with him and worship him all the days of their life? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But if you look at verse 17 of the last chapter, chapter one, verse 17, it just says this. So Jonah gets chucked overboard now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And if you wanna know my opinion, I think this is perhaps one of the most important verses in the entire account of Jonah. And there's three words in this verse that are, are very meaningful to me. And those three words are these. The Lord provided. Do you see them in the text? The Lord provided. 
Those three words mean a great deal to me because it tells me that even though Jonah ran from God, God pursued Jonah all the way out into the Mediterranean Sea. It tells me that God loved Jonah so much, he's not going to let him run away. So the Lord provided. And what just, what exactly did the Lord provide? Well, in Jonah's story, the provision turned out to be deliverance. The provision turned out to be salvation. And we're going to look at that a little bit here in this chapter today. But when I think about the Lord provided, it tells me something else. It tells me a lot about God. It tells me about how God views us, that, that God's love is big enough that he didn't even want an entire city that hated him to be lost. That, that tells me something so significant that God would want an entire group of people that hated him to know about him. We're not to chapter four yet, but I wanna show you one verse from chapter four that we're gonna get to in two weeks. It says in chapter four of Jonah, verse 11, God said this to Jonah, should I not be concerned for the great city of Nineveh? This is a really interesting detail. It tells us something about God. It tells us about his provisions. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? Now remember, this is the city that was so wicked. This is the city, and he's like, should I not have concern about them too? Isn't it kind of just a strange awareness to know that God loves people who hate him just as much as he loves people that love him? Think about the people in your life. We're so glad to have God's love for us, because why? Because we're the good guys, right? What about all the people that aren't? At least in our mind, we'd say, what about the people that have really hurt you in your life? And you come to the awareness that God even loves that guy, that girl. It's just something that's very eye-opening for me. You know, should I not have concern for these people? And if you finish the verse there, in Jonah chapter four, verse 11, he says, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. He's talking about the people in that city. So God takes notice of the things that we do. He's interested in the personal details of our lives. And he's like, I'm going to provide for all people. I wonder how easy would it have been for God to just look at Jonah back in this day and just to say, well, fooey on him. He doesn't want to walk with me anyway. He wants to run away. Well, then just go, fine. Just leave, fooey on you. I got better things to do. I've got a whole city that needs to be saved. Jonah, why would I waste my time on you? That wasn't God's attitude back then. And I can tell you confidently today that that is not God's attitude now. And I'm just wondering, by the show of hands, how many of you in this room today can honestly say, I'm so glad that God didn't look at me and say, well, fooey on you. Okay, all of us. All of us that can say, you know, even though that I was on the run from God, the Lord never lost sight of me. The Lord never gave up on me. The Lord still provided for me. I can tell you that I'm thankful that God never said fooey on me. So those three words there are pretty important. So God provided. Now, in the story of Jonah, what exactly did God provide? Well, in the context of this moment we're studying about, God provided a huge fish. And that's what brings us to chapter two. And I want you to know that when you get to chapter two, this is the part of the story where a lot of people start to go, yeah, I don't know about that. 
Have you ever had a conversation with a, a non-believing friend that you, you, they bring up Jonah and they said, you really want me to believe that, that a big fish ate a man? You really want me to believe that? You know, I think critics will sometimes look at Jonah, the story of Jonah, and they'll say, I have a hard time believing that story because in my scientific mind, in my logical mind, in my understanding of science and, and all the other things, I, I just can't bring myself to believe that God would make a fish that would swallow a man and he would live in it for three days. Maybe you had a friend tell you, that sounds a little fishy to me, pun Pun intended. Hey, that's a whale of a tail. Yeah, yeah, more pun intended. Hey, did you hear about the little girl in elementary school who was listening to her teacher um, do a lesson on the whales of the ocean? And she was giving this lesson and she started to talk about the biggest whales out there. She said, class, I want you to know that there are some whales that can grow up to be 100 feet long. It's a really big whale. But then she said to her class, I also want you to know that it is physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Because even though whales are really large, their throats are relatively small, and it is absolutely impossible for a whale to eat a human. And she said to her class, I don't care what you've heard. I don't care what anybody's ever told you. It cannot happen. A whale cannot eat a human. And well, there was something about that, that there was a little girl in her class, and something didn't quite set well with her. And she said, teacher, <coughs> teacher, Jonah was eaten by a whale. And this really irritated the teacher because she's like, you know, she didn't want to be questioned by a student. She thought it was silly. And she's like, all right, class, let me say this again. It is physically impossible for a whale to eat a human. I, I don't care what anybody said to you. It can't happen. And then she said to her class, do you really think that smart people like us should be believing things like that? And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm just gonna have to ask Jonah about it. Well, the teacher, just this really just kind of bothered her. She didn't like all this heaven and God talk. And so she said to the little girl uh, in front of the whole class, she goes, well, what if you get to heaven and you find out actually that Jonah went to hell? And the little girl thought for a moment. She said, well, I guess you'll have to ask him. <laughs> I don't know where I find this stuff. It just comes to me. It just comes, all right? I just find it. Friends, this is where I, I'm at. I believe the Bible to be the literal word of God. Amen. And you need to understand that about your preacher. It's what I believe. And what that means is that if it's in God's word, if it's in the Bible, then it's true. I truly believe that it is unwise for any of us to start picking and choosing the parts of the Bible that we will accept and we will reject. I think we're kind of walking on thin ice if we start to say, though the way I feel about this and my interpretation, God could never do this or that could never happen. This is fairy tale and on and on. I think we're asking for trouble if we approach God's word that way. Because when we do, do you realize actually what you're saying without realizing you're saying it? When you approach the Bible that way, you're actually saying, um, I don't believe that God can do everything that he says he can do. That, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I don't believe that God is all powerful. I don't believe that, that God can do everything the Bible says he can do. 
Because, you know, in my mind, the problem is not can God supernaturally preserve a human inside the belly of a fish for three days? The, the problem is, why is it so hard for us to believe that God can preserve a human inside the belly of a fish for three days? Why do I have such a hard time taking God at his word? And that might be a question that you might need to confront yourself on today. Why do I have a problem believing God? Why do I have a problem believing God at his word? Taking him at his word, why, why do I struggle with that? Uh, Dr. Jay Kessler used to be the president of Youth for Christ International. He's known as an intellectual man, a very intelligent man. He was asked one time by a skeptic about this story of Jonah and if he actually believed that God could make a fish so large that it could eat a man and preserve him for three days. And this man doing the questioning, he said, Dr. Kessler, he said, do you really expect people to believe in a day where we can split an atom, put a man on the moon, send spaceships out into space and land them on other planets? Do you really expect us to believe that a fish can eat a man? And I love Dr. Kessler's very honest, very humble, very straightforward faith in God response. He says, let me tell you, I not only believe that God can make such a fish, but the God who made the sun, moon, and the stars, if he wanted to, could air condition and carpet that fish for Jonah. That's what I believe. But I'll tell you, my main reason for believing that the events of Jonah actually happened is this. I believe it because Jesus believed it. I believe it because Jesus believed it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, people were asking Jesus for a sign. And he was talking about his death and resurrection. Jesus, I'll tell you, I'll give you a sign. This is the only sign you're gonna get. And he says, in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he said, for as Jonah, okay, now think about it. This is Jesus. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus uses the story of Jonah as an illustration of what's gonna happen to him. And he compares Jonah spending time in the belly of the fish like his time in the tomb. And as Jonah would come up after three days, Jesus would come up after three days. And I'm telling you, I believe it because Jesus Believed it. Now, there are those that will ridicule the book of Jonah, and I get it. There are people that will say, I can never accept that, and I get it. It's the typical answer of someone who is walking away from Jesus, not walking with Jesus. I get it. But I believe the account of Jonah is literal history, but more importantly, Jesus accepted it as literal history. And I'll tell you, I believe Jesus. So Jonah, he's out there in the middle of the sea and a giant fish swims up to him with its mouth wide open and like wham, down the hatch, Jonah goes right into his belly. And I'm telling you, how terrifying was that experience? How terrifying did that, I mean, you gotta remember, this is long before Discovery Channel and National Geographic. We didn't have any documentaries. Steve Irwin with the Crocodile Hunter was not around back then. Nobody knew what was in the ocean. This is still a part of the world that was so unknown and so scary. This is back in the day and age that there were people who would never go far enough into the sea where they lost sight of the land because it meant certain death. He'd never seen anything like this. 
and wham. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you've been eaten by a fish? This is a real question. What do you do when you've been eaten by a fish? You pray, that's what you do. You pray, and that's exactly what Jonah did. And so welcome to chapter two of this story. Chapter two is Jonah's description of being tossed overboard, floating around in the water, being eaten by a fish, and how all of that turned to prayer. So let's look at verse one. You ready, chapter two, verse one? Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I find it fascinating that Jonah did not say one single word to God the whole time he was on the ship and in the storm. Do you realize that? Even when the captain of the ship came down and said, you've got to pray to your God, Jonah, there's no record that he did that. But now that he's been tossed overboard and his worst nightmare has come to life, that's when he decides to talk to God. That's when he cries out, Lord, help me. I'm up to my neck in trouble. I need you now more than ever. So he cries out to God in chapter two. And that cry to God, this description that he went through, turned to prayer. That's really what chapter two is all about. Now, now really, I wanna point out something that hopefully is obvious. When Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he did not have pen and paper and a lamp to write this all down. So this is after the fact. This is him reflecting back on that experience. I remember looking at a kid's story one time where it was telling the Bible story of Jesus and the illustration was Jonah sitting inside the belly of a fish, sitting at a table with a lamp and his pen and paper. And I'm going, I don't think that's quite right. So obviously Jonah's reflecting back on this whole experience. And what does he say? From the depths of the what? Do you see in scripture? From the depths of the grave, I called out to you. Let me tell you about a Hebrew word that you don't know, but you really do know it. You just didn't know you knew it. I don't dig into languages too much in preaching, but this is one that's very interesting. The Hebrew word for grave is this, shil. And, and a, lot of your, a lot of our translations will translate it as grave, and that's definitely a good translation. In the proper context, the Hebrew word sheol can also mean the realm of the dead. If you're reading from a King James version of the Bible today, you're gonna see that it's translated as hell. Jonah is talking about an experience here where he's like, he's like I am calling out to you from the grave, the realm of the dead. He could also be me, I'm calling from you from hell itself. I'm at my farthest point away from you that I've ever been. I am so far messed over right now. I am crying out to you from the grave, from the depths of Sheol. And I wonder, have you ever been, to, could that be described of anything you've ever been in your life? And it was from that point you called out to God? We call the depths of Sheol rock bottom. That's where Jonah is. And maybe, just maybe, you have looked to God at some point in your life and maybe you've looked at it from a different context. You might have said, Lord, from the depths of my marriage in Sheol. Because it can't get any worse than this right now. I've cried out to you. Or maybe he said, from the, the depths of Sheol in my heart, I cried out to you. 
But Lord, there's so many things that are troubling me. Everybody on the outside looks at my life and says, everything's great. But on the inside, I'm hurting. I'm depressed. I'm, I've got anxiety. There's all kinds of things, Lord. I'm from this place, this depth of Sheol. I cried out to you. Have you ever been that down? It's rock bottom. And that's where Jonah is. He can't go any lower. He can't feel any farther away. From God. Look at verse three. He says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. So the next few verses are kind of a combination of he's in the water or he's in the fish. Sometimes it goes back and forth. We're not really sure if it's a reference to out in the ocean or out in the fish, maybe a little bit of both, but he's just talking about the whole experience. And he's talking about here, obviously, he's out in the water, and every time he comes up for air, another wave breaks over him and knocks him down. It's almost like he has this sense like, hey, I'm out in this water and I can't catch a break. I feel overwhelmed. And I don't mean to over-spiritualize this by any means, but I'll tell you, I've felt overwhelmed before, have you? Have you ever felt like you're out in the middle of open water and every time you catch your breath, another wave crashes in on you and that's how life feels sometimes? You're starting to get a picture of this desperation that Jonah is writing about. Look at verse four. He said, I have been banished from your sight. Well, that's a hard thing to say. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. This is Jonah's description of an emotion he's feeling at that moment, whether he's in the water or he's in the belly of the fish. He's saying, I feel like a castaway. Maybe in more modern terms, we put it like this. Jonah's saying, Lord, if I was a football and you're the punter, you have kicked me outside of the stadium. I'm so far away from you. I feel so out. It's like from the depths of the grave I called out for you. I'm a castaway. I'm so far away from you. We're not even close right now. But then he he turns it a little bit. He goes, yet, yet, even though this is the way I feel, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. It's like saying, I will look again towards where you're at. The holy temple being in Jerusalem, known as the place where God dwells. He says, I will. It's, It's like Jonah saying, I'm way away right now, but I, I still, I still look to you. Here's an interesting thing. Jonah was on the run, didn't want to obey God, but he still felt like he belonged to God, just a little bit. And he says, I, I still look to you as my father. Look at verse five. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I love that little detail, don't you? That little descriptive detail. Seaweeds all around me. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. Um, some translations actually say bars. Okay, they, they barred, it was like this cage mentality. I, I, I can't get out of this thing. You barred me in. But then he said, but... You have brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I think this is Jonah describing the moments right before he drowned. 
right before he drowned. It's like seaweeds around my head. I was going down. He talks about going down. It's like I'm, I'm dipping down, um, but God, you saved me right in the nick of time. He says, my life was ebbing away. I don't know um, if you've ever had a near-death experience or you were in a position where you're like, I'm done. Uh, my life is ebbing. It's slipping away. That's Jonah's description. I kind of get this image, and this is me reading into the text, of course, but I kind of get this image that Jonah's out there bobbing in the water, you know, and, 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 and I don't know how long he's been out there. All right, he, I don't even know if Jonah knows how to swim, but he's trying to get up above the water and I can imagine God saying, all right, giant fish, keep circling. Not quite ready yet. Jonah goes down. He's okay. Oh, oh nope, he's coming back up. He catches the breath. Hold on, big fish, not yet. In the moment where Jonah could not get above the water anymore, he's writing about this moment where he's sinking and the ocean has got him and he's feeling barred in. He might even be on the point of unconsciousness. He doesn't have air. Seaweed is wrapped around him. This man is a dead man. And that's when God's like, all right, giant fish, you're on, get him. And this fish comes in and like wham, and swallows him whole. How terrifying was that moment? I would imagine that when Jonah finally realized that he was inside the belly of the fish, I doubt he thought that his situation had improved much. <laughs> well, I could have drowned or I can be slowly digested over the next few weeks. I don't think he thought his situation had improved at all. But over a little bit of time, maybe over the course of the next couple of hours, Jonah maybe perhaps started to realize, wait a minute, Maybe, maybe I'm not gonna die. Maybe I'm gonna make it. Wait a minute. Maybe in that moment where he's like, my life was ebbing away, I thought I was a dead man. All of a sudden, this fish wasn't the last moment of my destruction. This might actually be something that God sent to me for my salvation. So he's at the most pivotal moment of his life where everything was gone and he starts to come to the realization, God is not done with me. That's a really powerful moment in somebody's life when you go, I don't think God is done with me. Friends, I want you to know something today. You've got air in your lungs. God is not done with you. Not even close. And that's why he says, you brought me up from the pit, my life was ebbing away. So Lord, I will look to you. Salvation comes from you. When all hope was lost, I turned to you and you rescued me. That's how this thing turns around. Look at verse eight. Those who cling to worthless idols, Jonah said, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. You are witnessing right here in these verses the transition of a man. A man who went from a runner to a man who's coming clean before God. This is a man who's feeling like he was lost and he's starting to understand he has been found. You're reading this transition right here. And then in verse 10, it says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Three days in the belly of a fish is what it took for Jonah to come clean 
before God. Three days is what it took for Jonah to fully evaluate his life, his situation, and to finally start thinking straight. And, and the Bible just says this fish, there's only really one way to understand this, even from the original language, that this fish came up to the shore and literally vomited Jonah out onto the sea. I don't know what was worse, going in or coming out. I don't know. But it vomited, it barfed him up and then, then just got shot out of this fish, covered in stink on the outside, but a changed man on the inside. See, many people think that Jonah started to change his heart while he was on that ship, and I don't think that's right. I think Jonah changed his heart when he was inside the belly of the fish, and he came out a changed man. I think some of you here today can really relate to what we've learned about Jonah so far. Nope, you have not been eaten by fish, but you have disobeyed God and you have run from God. And you had to go through the experience of God sending a storm into your life to get your attention and you know what it feels like to sink pretty low. You know what it feels like to feel like you're about as far away from God as you could ever get. But it was in that low moment that you came to your senses and you turned back to God and you started to understand and you started to pursue alignment with God and all the things that God has envisioned for your life. You recognize what Jonah did, that only God could save you. And it's an incredible recognition. And I, before we go here today, I wanna make sure that we all understand something about salvation today and how the story of Jonah actually teaches something to us very significant about salvation and sin and God's role in deliverance. Jonah was inside the fish and do you understand there was not, a, there was not one thing he could do to get himself out of that situation? Now think about it. There's not one thing he could do to get himself out. Jonah could not make a sacrifice to God because back in this day, if you had sinned to get right with God, you would go make a sacrifice at the temple and you would become forgiven and righteous before God again. He cannot do that in this situation. There is nothing that he can do inside of this fish that can even come close to looking like a good work or something that he could earn God's favor. You know, you know, there's not, there's not a, a, you know, a, a homeless shelter that he can go volunteer at inside the belly of a fish. There is not any child in need that he could help out. There's, there's really nothing that he could do inside of this fish to earn God's favor, to earn God's blessing. Jonah didn't have any weapons on him. He didn't have a knife. He couldn't cut his way out. That would have been quite foolish anyway. He couldn't cut his, what I'm trying to say is there is absolutely nothing that Jonah could do to help himself out of this situation. So in that context, we come to verse nine again and it makes a whole lot more sense, right? When he says what? Salvation comes from the Lord. That's it. It comes from God. And what you have here, Jonah inside the belly of a fish is really no different than us stuck in a life cycle of sin. That sin has got us trapped. Sin has got us barred in. Sin is what makes us finally call out from the depths of Sheol to God. There's nothing that we can do ourselves to fix it. And that is very clear in Scripture. And so 
there's this thing in us that we want to run. We want to run away from God. We want to go do our own thing. We want to live to, to, to suit ourselves and to live for the pleasure of ourselves. And, and as many of us can testify that that lifestyle eventually catches up to you and it leads to disastrous consequences. And if it's not fully realized in this life, it most definitely is fully realized in the next one when it is far too late. There's a moment where every last one of us has to come clean before God. We have to come clean before God. Why? It is because God brings the salvation, not us. God brings the salvation. In the New Testament, it says like this. this is a very well-known verse. We've looked at it many times right here in this room. Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For it is by the grace of God that you've been saved. It's by what God has done for you. It's never by what you do for yourself. There's nothing that you could ever brag about and say, look at me, shine the spotlight on me. I figured out how to save myself. That's not how it works. It's what God has done for us because salvation comes from the Lord. And so you have Jonah, he makes this acknowledgement. It is the same acknowledgement that we all make when we realize that we can't save ourselves. We're stuck in sin, God has to deliver us. And when we realize what that deliverance cost our Heavenly Father, that his son had to die on the cross, shed his blood for the once and for all sacrifice for all mankind, that there'd never be another animal sacrifice. Jesus took the place once and for all sacrifice. When you realize what it cost God for that deliverance, and when you realize that without that happening, I would forever be lost in my sin. I would forever be trapped with no way out. When you realize that, that's the moment it becomes good news. That moment. God did a great thing for us through his son, Jesus Christ. We couldn't do it ourselves. He did it for us. So what does he want from us? Faith. Faith. It's through Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. What is faith in Jesus Christ? It is, it's that moment where you can say, I believe that God so loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I believe Jesus died on that cross, was put in a tomb, three days later rose to life. I believe that Jesus is alive today and I believe Jesus is coming back again and until that moment, I'm gonna live for him. That's faith. My whole life for him. And God will say to you, welcome to the family. Jonah's a pretty powerful story. Not only about what God did in his life, not what he's gonna do for the Ninevites, we're gonna get to that soon, but what he's done for all of us. Salvation comes from the Lord, the Lord provided. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you, Lord, for how it teaches us and shapes us. And my prayer today would simply be this, Lord, that you take this very negative example of a runaway prophet to draw us back into you. That, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us be a people who just decides ahead of time, Lord, we're gonna live for you. No need for a storm here. Lord, I, I'm just gonna talk to you now. I'm gonna give you my attention, Father. You, you don't need to fight me for it. I, I will give you my attention. Lord, you can have my life. Whatever you say, Lord, goes. What your word says, Lord, I accept. 
Lord, that's our prayer today, that we would be a people who are aligned with you, your will, your purposes, your desires in everything that we do. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room right now that might just be on the wrong boat sailing in the wrong direction. Lord, I pray that you make them aware how much you love them and how much you want them to change course. Lord, I pray that you show them the way back to where you want them to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.